Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Escafil Files, a book analysis podcast where one diehard fan and one newbie start yet another podcast about Animorphs, the children's book series by K.A. Applegate. I'm Danielle, I use she or they pronouns, and you can find me on the internet at redtailedhawk90, and my co-host is Jade. Hello, I'm Jade, you can find me on Twitter at jadeoxidrose, and I use they, them pronouns. We'll be making our way through the books one book at a time, analyzing the themes and how they stand up to time, and sharing the experience with our friends on Discord, the link to which you can find in the show notes. Today, we have another guest. Woo! Uh, welcome, to Kit. Have guest. Uh, <laughs> uh, Kit, introduce yourself. Yeah, so I go by Kit or Kitsy. My pronouns are she, her. And you can find me on Twitter, Tumblr, and Kofi as Kitsy in a box. All one word. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Uh, so you haven't been on this podcast before. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what, like, how did how did you get into Animorphs? Oh boy! Uh, <laughs> like, I, uh, it's hard to remember because, like, I think my first memory of Animorphs was a Scholastics school fair in third grade, mm -hmm. and seeing one of the covers. I. I think it was like the first book, seeing the lizard and thinking, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> and I remember for a long time not reading it because of like how weird the cover looked. But then one day it was like, you know what? I am bored. I am in class. The teacher has like five of these things. I'm going to read it. And that was it. I was I was addicted. Like literally, I drove my fourth grade teacher up the wall because anytime he would give us a book assignment, I would only do animorphs. It's like, hey, buddy, you, you want to fight me? We've already got like 20 of these, buddy. I could do an entire year of book reports off of these. You know, like I distinctly remember like this fourth grade teacher was such a, excuse me, such an ass. He gave us an assignment where it's like, you have to write the will of a fictional character from one oh, of the books you read. Oh, no. We were in fourth grade. Oh, fuck. no. And he was like, you have to write the will of a character. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't, I'm, four, I'm, I'm in fourth grade. I have no concept of mortality yet. <laughs> mm. um, oh, yeah, but I remember I, I chose to write Axe's will. <laughs> oh, no. Incredible. <laughs> teacher was mad, but it was, he could, couldn't flunk me because I did a good job. Oh, yeah. No, uh, Kit, do feel free to swear as much as you like. The podcast is ready to explicit purely for language okay. purposes. You're good. Yeah. The, okay. the book is a children's book series, but uh, it's adults <laughs> talking about it. And, Hashtag uh, yeah. let the Animorphs say fuck. Indeed. <laughs> but also, I do still live in a good Christian home, so it's almost a force of reflex. That's so. fair. That's fair. <laughs> if you feel the urge to relax at any point, yeah, if it just slips out, it's all good. We're here oh, I'm this. sure I'll pop off once I get warmed up. Excellent. <laughs> uh, so, um, what book are we reading today? Or have we read for today? We're oh, reading the one. Andalite Chronicles, um, which is the first of four chronicles that we will be reading. Um, that uh, goes into uh, some detailed background of one of the alien species that we're dealing with. Cool. Uh, in this case, it is somewhat obviously the Andalites. Um, it is the story of Elfangor. Um, uh, before we dive in, we do have some book-specific content warnings uh, for attempted suicide cannibalism because there are a bunch of taxons in this book 
Um, and significantly more body horror than usual because they're not, it's not just from morphing, it's also from other bad things. Wibbly wobbly shenanigans. Yeah. Uh, can you guys think of any, any other content warnings? Uh, not off the top no. of the dome, but if I come up with no. anything as we go, I'll uh, sing out. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess military culture because we're talking about mm. the Andalites. So, Ooh, and, yeah, big time. Uh, any, any, any uh, content warnings we put on uh, number eight, the Axe book? Mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty safe to assume that those would also apply here in terms of Andalites being kind of mm-hmm. gross. Um, I'd say actually that's at a book specific warning for PTSD mm-hmm. uh, because one of the characters we meet clearly does have PTSD, at least by Very our understanding so. of mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if that's a sensitive topic for any of our listeners, possibly yeah. give it a miss. Yeah, it isn't Please described in safe. explicit detail, but he, you can definitely tell. Yeah, if you have it, any sensitivity like to people who are suffer from PTSD, it could be, you know, reminiscent yeah. of that. Yeah. Okay. Let's dive in. Well, first, actually, Jade, did you have any expectations going into this book? Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, not especially. It's one of those ones. I've said before about what it's like being the person that hasn't read these books as we go along. <laughs> And this is all words just like, oh, just wait till we get to the Chronicles. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm waiting for us to get to the Chronicle. <laughs> the Chronicle is here. And I'm there. To, one, it's, it's, it's a chunk. It's just like double the it length is. of your usual yeah. animal book. Um, I don't know what I was expecting from it. I enjoyed it a lot, I have mm-hmm. to say, to read. Um, despite there are some moments where I went, mm, okay. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, that'd be how it be. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, the quibbles I have, like, I really enjoyed it. And it's cool to get a different take on this world. Like, bitch got lo- this bitch got law, and I'm mm-hmm. here for it, frankly. So, mm-hmm. and I love yeah. when things make things complicated. Yeah. You're I will say, things complicated. yeah, like, um, I won't say what specifically, uh, but I did message Danielle directly after finishing the book this morning, being like, okay, I guess this, but what the fuck is this? <laughs> Didn't see that one coming. Gotta I say. Was so, I was so glad you weren't spoiled for that. The twist yeah. at the end of this book, like, it, it, it is minor in some ways, but also world-shaking in a lot of ways, and it's so uh-huh. good. Uh-huh. I, I, I really exactly appreciate it, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll, um... I'll drop. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll I'll just do a quick little screen cap because you know. Uh, there we go. One second. I'll just drop this in our voice text so you can see it, uh, Kit. So I'll, I'll delete it afterwards so nobody accidentally gets spoiled if somebody decides to uh, do that. There you go. It's just like basically me like rubbing my little hands together, just. Like... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there you go, Kit. It's in the voice text channel. Oh, yeah. It's just above us. Ah, there it is. Thank you. Sorry, I had that muted. (laughs) No, fair. Fair. If you're not in the calls regularly, it's a good one to mute. (laughs) 
<laughs> yep, that's what I thought. Yep. <laughs> it's it's good. It's good as the thing. So I'll good. tell you what, I was I I'll it. delete this now. I was surprised at how much um for all I was expecting, uh mm-hmm. the way people talk about it, to I like Elfangor a lot. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, like, reading this, getting a feel for who he is, it was very cool and good. hmm Yeah. So, if only because it's real fun to go, wow, this guy's a monster fucker, huh? This is incredible. <laughs> you know? Like, straight out of the gate. Just right out of the dragging, gate. It's just like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, I don't think, hey, Applegate, we're intending, like, ways to make Elfangle more relatable. Monster fucker. They're just all of us. like, yes, he's one of us. <laughs> Welcome, well, like, Lauren, Lauren does not hesitate a heartbeat either. Mm-mm. No, no, no. Well, she is also certifiably or, but... a monster oh, yeah. fucker. Like, oh, yeah. Live in the dream. You want that boy. Yeah. yeah. Get abducted <laughs> by aliens. Oh, no. One of the aliens is hot. Well, <laughs> I guess I'm going <laughs> to. What's that Brooklyn? I know. I can't believe I'm going to sleep with him. You don't have to. No, I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> it's, my, it's my duty. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, we should probably get into this book so we're not leaving our listeners on tenterhooks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, the book begins with a prologue, and we are back at the construction site the night that Elfangor crash-landed and died. Um, he is giving a final statement uh, telepathically to his computer that will then be apparently... Uh, beamed to the Andalite homeworld at some point, someday, theoretically. Um, and basically, he's he's telling his life story that he hasn't told anyone so far. Um, we also learn that uh, Elfangor does not think of himself as a hero. Um, he thinks he has made too many mistakes in his life to really be a hero. Um, and he's kept too many secrets. Uh, and we learn right off the bat that this is not his first visit to Earth and that he once spent many years on Earth. Um, and he has come to the construction site to find a weapon called the Time Matrix. Um, but he was too hurt to even think about looking for it. Fortuitously, uh, five human children came by, uh, and he gave them the morphing power. Um, and then we go into his, his story 21 years before. I like that we get a bit of context in that prologue about, um, Vissa 3 and Elfangor having a long private war. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Just sort of like... A- no, say, oh, this shit's personal then, huh? Yeah. No, it's super personal. Well, yeah. He just, like, drops it right there in the first chapter that, hey, this dude, he's my fault. Yep. Mm. Like, yep. You know, just, just gonna drop that right there at the start of the book, you know. Yep. So you want to love, love dramatic irony. Okay. Uh, so for context, uh, the uh, An- Animorphs is uh, canonically set to start in 1996. 
Um, that is when the Animorphs get their morphing power. Uh, so 21 years before puts us in 1975. Mm -hmm. Right? Did I do that right? Mm -hmm. Yes. yes. Um, so on, on the one hand, this war has been going on for 21, 20, actually it's 26 years, which is a long ass time for a war. But also, it's not really that long ago. Well, another thing I would like to bring up that I don't think we've really thought about is space does funky things with time. Oh, it really you does. Know? So, like, it's 21 relative to Earth years, but how many of those Earth years have been distorted by distance and, you know, just space? Mm. You know, so it's like 21 Earth years, give or take, from what we know, but there could also be, like, space distortion added on top of that that's true kind that's of, a neat you know, way to think about it i mean i thought of it because like um have you ever seen the movie um voices from a distant star i think it's called no uh, the basic plot is uh, there's a some space war like light years away from earth and the people who get launched into space to them time moves differently so like a girl who goes to fight she is still a teenager when the boy she had a crush on is now like a 40 year old man with a wife and a child. Mm -hmm. But because of the space, the time space dilation, you know, yeah. stuff that happens. They do, they do mention in here explicitly that uh, for the most part, they try not to use close to light speed travel. Yeah, um, uh, max burn. Max, maximum burn because of time dilation. Um, and that the uh, the kind of quote unquote warp speed that they use is not faster than light travel. It's tunneling. It's it's yeah. traveling through what is essentially a wormhole from one side of the galaxy to another. Um, As the crow flies. Mm hmm. Um. So. Uh, but yeah, that is a that is a good way to think about it. Um, there's a. Uh, if you're on the Discord, you know I ranted a bit about just the the time doesn't add up appropriately in this book, um, because Ka probably were not paying very close attention to it, uh, in all honesty, and because uh, bits of this timeline come from different books that were released, you know, months and months apart from each other. Yeah. Uh, so like. On the one hand, I don't really blame them for uh, messing up here and there and like losing five years. Uh, yeah. But it's also annoying. And I want mm. to make it make sense in canon. <laughs> and that's totally um, fair, too. You know, like, if we're going to be too picky about some things, you got to be picky about everything, right? Mm hmm. Well, yeah. I did just check some dates for my own brain. And really, if they didn't mm -hmm. mention a certain thing, everything would be fine. Yeah. If it was just cresting into the 80s, mm -hmm. that makes sense. 1975, a five-year hop. Mm -hmm. begin you're at the beginning of the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, if they had just put him on Earth for a little bit longer, that mm -hmm. would have solved it. You know, not just three years, but say five years. That would also remove the gross factor of Lauren having a child at 21. Um, but we'll, we'll what? talk about that later. 
Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> sorry, it's like my own family. I'm just like, uh, that's not that unusual, for, especially for that era. <laughs> yeah, nah. It's it's not. Nah. But my, reading my it mom, now, it's cringeworthy. Yeah, no, but yeah. My, I mean, my mum was 21 when she had me. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, specifically, my, my own mom was considered an anomaly because she did not have Angela, my older sister, yeah. until she was like 25, you know. Yeah. Well, like, specifically for me, it's it's cringy because she's 13 in this book. No, and, uh, then, I, and then she's can, not. They can, they can write that, <laughs> and I had choose to ignore that. Yeah, it's, because she, mm, she is not characterized as a thirteen-year-old. She's not. No. Not like I the choose to believe side. that when and now we're getting all over the place. When he says like no, no older than Lauren was, just like you know what, you might have been on Earth a while, but clearly you don't understand how human aging works. <laughs> it's hard to tell with teenagers. Granted, you just don't know what you're talking about. It's I mean, fine. Yeah. All right. We'll we'll get into this when we get to we'll the really big this, time yeah. fuckery. So we're twenty-one years before. Um, and, uh, we get a brief introduction to the Yerk War. Um, the Yerks are loose like some terrifying disease spreading from planet to planet. Um, and it is, it is, this introduction is very, uh, sounds like propaganda in the same way that it does when Axe talks about it. We're like, only we Andalites stand against the Yerks and like, we're the only hope for the galaxy um and we're but we're spread too thin and we're trying so hard and we've been fighting them for five years um and the war could go on for another 50 or another hundred years um and we learn that elfangor at the time of this book is an aris um like axe is in the animorphs uh in the future um and he's been posted on the dome ship, the Star Sword. And ha- they've been looking so for. Go ahead. Oh, I just I love the name of the dome ships so yeah, much. Like, they all have such like soft and like like yeah, like Star Sword. It's like yeah, it's still a sword, but like when you say Star Sword, you imagine something like elegant and beautiful, you know? Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Uh, but they've been in space for months now trying to look for this Yerk task force. They haven't found anything. Um, Elfangor is still training. Um, we pick up with him as he's training in tail fighting with Sofor. Um, and what, I, what I love about this is how, uh, this is his words, uh, that Elfangor considers him to be a clumsy, slow-witted, and quite possibly hopeless fool. At least according to my instructors. But that's such a fun, interesting contrast to come in when all we've ever heard about Elfangor and seen of him is being this very competent war hero. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. this is, yeah. And the person's just like, I was shit at this. <laughs> I am so bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, as the book goes on, we find out he's not. He just overthinks everything. Yes. To the extreme. Yes. And that That's one of his key problems. But it's cool to get in. And seeing like him as a young person just being mm-hmm. so full of doubt. Mm-hmm. And clumsy. And like he hasn't grown into his body yet. And yeah. I just I keep imagining stuff. like a foal who's like all legs. You uh-huh. Know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I appreciate um. he's described as the big one as well. Like mm-hmm. when compared to his friend, just like just be like somebody who hit their growth spurt and hasn't quite figured out how everything yes. goes together now. Yes. 
Uh-huh. But that is a reflection also of Axe as well. It's just mm-hmm. like, good shit. <laughs> um, uh, I almost said Axe. Elfengra gets his ass handed to him uh, by his teacher. Um, and the teacher kind of uh, berates him for being uppity uh, and then <laughs> runs away. Uh, and then we meet Elfangor's uh, cohort. Argon. They're definitely not peer. friends. Yeah, peer. they're not friends. Peer, that's a good one. Um, uh, Arbron. I love Arbron. I love Can him. I just say I'm not surprised top. you love him because he's basically Marco. Look, I love me <laughs> some smart mouth bastards. <laughs> this is known about me. <laughs> I make no I make no secret. I have no shame of the matter. <laughs> so you know what surprised me on the reread was just like when I was like my memory of this book was that they were friends, but like yeah. going back to reread it was like, oh, he really does not like him. Yeah. Like he tolerates him at best. Yeah. Which which makes the journey that happens and uh, the the for the bonds that they forge between each other. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, all the more potent for it. Yeah, I like Definitely. that they don't get on. But again, also, yeah. and it, I imagine it's deliberate. But it's a del- it feels very much like a parallel of how some of the animals are with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I tolerate you because we're in this war together. But otherwise, you know, yeah, it's very like Rachel and Marco. Yeah, in yes. that regard, yes. Yeah, I appreciate this small detail, which I feel like really comes into play with what we learned about uh, Arbron later. And illuminating a little why Elfangor might have an issue with him is uh, Arbron immediately points out Elfangor's tell to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That he has spotted and has probably been keeping from him for a while, but just like, by the by, you do this. <laughs> this is and how just, he knew. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good. It's delivered in such a smug way, too. Just like, is it okay if I read it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah please. Yeah, yeah. Arboron laughed. You don't fool me. You're not some mighty prince or hero. You're just another scared, confused Aris on his first big deep space mission. And by the way, you shift the weight to your left hind leg when you get ready to strike. That's how old Sephora knew. It's just, it's delivered so smugly. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and the thing is, though, like, you get this impression as we move on talking about, like, the military culture within, and, like, culture specifically, and how it is super competitive, and how it's probably in part of they're trying just, like, to play up certain skills and think less of other skills, Mm -hmm. and they both do it to each other, and it's just sort of, like, the kind of atmosphere that creates that, not infighting, but competitiveness. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, um, I went to, they call it a grammar school here. Uh, they're actually pretty much gone now, but it's like, uh, you have to do an entrance test to, you, it's like the top percentage of the population can go to a slightly better school. It's mm. basically what it boils down to. It's shitty, but eh, is what it is, or is what it was. But it's still like public school in the American sense of public school. Um, just slightly better funded. Sometimes, yeah, because they obviously have slightly less pupils and things like that, and they don't yeah. need to cater to wider things as well. So, but um, I still have bad mental stuff about how I think about myself in comparison to other people. 
because mm-hmm. of how it was drilled in, like gifted programs and stuff yeah. like that. Sort of just like anything less than this is a basically a fail. Yeah. And you are like, this is where you came in the year on mm-hmm. this test. Mm-hmm. And it's unhealthy. And yes. yeah, they can go on and on about how, oh, it's to create the best X, Y, or Z possible. It's bad, yo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I'm a dirty leftist, but still, it's bad. <laughs> that makes it not true. Yeah. No, you're, you're fair. It just makes me think of a lot of the, like, in the U.S. public schools, like, uh, a couple years ago, I found, like, this ancient box full of stuff from my grade school, and, like, up to third or fourth grade, they kept trying to talk my parents into putting me into the gifted program. Like, oh, your child is so good at reading. She's gifted. You need to put her in the gifted program. And, like, at fifth grade, it just stopped. Because I got a bad teacher and I stopped enjoying school, you know. And so, like, as soon as I wasn't making the grades they liked anymore, they just stopped giving me any attention at all, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, grade yeah. schools and school in general, especially in the U.S. and probably U.K., need a good overhaul. Yep. Yeah. It it it's shitty the way that schools are forced to run and create a certain kind of mentality. Hmm. Um, in its students and the way things are done, just like, oh, well, we have this many people to put through and we need these kinds of results to get funding. And the whole system is fucked up. And oh, like, te- make me- oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. It's just, it's the whole premise. Like, we teach, you get taught how to pass exams mm-hmm. and like learning by rote and stuff like yeah. that. It's just like, that's not an effective way to teach. And like, we know more and more, like as researchers goes on about education, just like why these things don't work and better ways, but there isn't the infrastructure or the funding to do it, or mm. the interest mm. for the people That's who true. have that money. Well, why would you put money into education? The current system we've got, because the whole mm-hmm. reason uh, this is when we, I'm going off on a tangent, as we discussed earlier. <laughs> but it's like, and this is an interesting parallel to Andalite military culture, actually, I suppose, but mm-hmm. um. The way schooling was originally done was to create people that could go work in the factories. Yep. yep. You needed to know your letters and your numbers and how to do as you were told. Yep. And that's basically what they trained into you at school because that's all they needed. And you're just like, you're also taught to run to a certain schedule. You get mm-hmm. up, you go in, you do your thing, you have a lunch break, you go back, you do more learning, you're done, you go home. Yep. And it was all about. It all, it all comes back to capitalism because schools were designed to create workers, mm-hmm. like functional workers that could do their job. And the mm-hmm. school structure was designed in a way to make that. So, yeah. Now to loop this back to the subject, mm-hmm. um, it makes me wonder about the Andalite schooling system because it's, it's heavily implied that Andalites do not have a capitalist society. They are uh, herb- herbivorous, er- mm-hmm. herb uh, herd, herd-based mm-hmm. species. So for them, cooperation is just, it's what they do, which is one thing that I think feeds into how easy it is for them to militarize themselves mm-hmm. because they are a herd species. They protect each other. They defend each other. That's yeah. the whole reason they evolved the tail blade was for defense, you know? So like, it makes me wonder, like, Axe mentions his schooling on occasion. Like, he mentions, like, oh, we have games. And there was also that mention of, like, you know, the teacher taught us, like, all these oddball things. Like, when would a, when would a kid ever need to know about, like, a time-space rift caused by beans <laughs> meeting, you know? 
Um, that would be like, like, I'm imagining it like that would be like your eighth grade science teacher telling you, oh yeah, well, like you could accidentally create a wormhole with the Hadron Collider or something like that. You know, when is a kid Mm -hmm. ever going to be in that situation? So it's like, what, you know, like what is their schooling? And part of me wonders if it is just more militaristic because they're the, the propaganda is so ingrained into the Andalites. Mm -hmm. Like, do they have military schools more than like, are capitalistic based schools where we're funneled into the factory program. They're funneled into the military program. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to make you wonder because obviously we hear later in this book and it got mentioned, I think in previous animals books about how Axe is only allowed to be born because and like, it's like we need more soldiers. Yeah. That's right. And here it makes at the start of this chapter yeah, even. Yeah, yeah. Which makes you wonder like, okay, so what did Andalite schooling used to be like? I, oh gosh. Part of me wonders, like, I think it might have been similar to homeschooling, if I'm remembering correctly from an, from a later book. But it's been a long time since I read that book, so don't quote me on that. But I think for a long time, like, the Andalites just kind of, they, they had, like, loose herds, and the parents would just teach the kids in, like, the herd mm-hmm. family. Because... Their society is like, their society for all it is super technological is still like very agrarian, like they're, or not agrarian, but like very distant with each other. They like their personal space. Well, because, like, yeah, mm-hmm. that comes up later as well, isn't it? Just like how Adelaide society, it got to a breaking point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of, of a certain point and just like, no, we need to go back to the old ways. Yeah. And then we're just like, okay, so we do this part of manufacture and then the stuff is sent along to the next person. And they're just yeah. like, yeah. Sounds pretty fucking sweet. Yep. Yeah. I also love, like, again, like, and then, like, in this next chapter, like, him complaining about how, like, our quarters are tiny. Like, we have no space in our quarters unless you are a higher rank. Like, they're literally in a cubby. There's just, like, mm-hmm. enough space for them to probably stand up and sleep. Cause I imagine they sleep standing up like horses or other. You know, mm-hmm. four-legged critters do. Um, so, like, there's just enough space to stand up. And, like, they can't even turn around. They have to back up and then turn around, which which boggles my mind because, like, I know horses and other large quadrupeds, and they do not like not being able to turn around. Like, most horses I know have claustrophobia, and they freak out if they can't turn around. It probably mm-hmm. helps the Andalites can see behind them without yeah. turning their heads, to be fair. Yeah. Something that keeps yeah. brought up repeatedly in this book, to my amusement. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the two artists are called to the battle bridge, yeah. and both of them are fucking terrified. It's like, because- what the fuck did we do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because because artists don't get called to the bridge ever. Yeah. <laughs> just makes me oh. think of that feeling when, like, the PA came on at school and was like, hey, you know, like, mm-hmm. like I could you please come to the principal's office? And it's like, oh, my God, what did I do? Ooh, you're in trouble. Yeah. And, like, the whole class is looking at you. And now they're just, now these two poor kids are just like, oh, my God, what did we do? Like, we haven't, we haven't even gone into a battle yet. And now we are going to the bridge. So as the uh, two... Uh, Earths are uh, running to the water, uh, the battle bridge. We get this info dump about what their quarters are like, um, and we get this mention, um, or we get the mention that how the electorate has voted for more children to be born because there's a war on, 
So now I get this little bitch from Elfangor about how he now has to do this extra ritual, Mm -hmm. um, the wish flower ritual to do with getting a a little brother. Mm -hmm. So... Just, I just really like the notion. I want to see what this ritual is. I got to say, but I like that yeah. there's this detail of the fact that he has holograms of his uh, parents in his room, mm-hmm. and uh, it's good shit. Um, but yeah, we have that little bitching, the two of them bantering as they uh, head to the uh, the bridge, and they're like, "Oh, maybe they're telling us we're doing well." Yeah, okay, maybe he wants his advice. I appreciate. <laughs> I suggested sarcastically, and then he doesn't get sarcasm later. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So it's sort of like, mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's, there are some weird inconsistencies about what the Andalites think is weird about human culture. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it's like within this one book, they're inconsistent. <laughs> which yeah. is yeah. really silly. Fair, I suppose this is one of those things like, oh, perspective on sarcasm. He's looking back and goes, oh, no, that was sarcasm. We do do sarcasm. We just yeah, that's maybe- fair. That's, but, a, that's uh, a good explanation. Like, yeah, mm-hmm, like some of the inconsistencies are like him remembering and being in the moment and then him being able to step out and being like, okay, that's what that was because yeah. I have this experience now. Because yeah. mm-hmm. we kind of get a good mix of that of like the in the moment recalling and mm-hmm. stepping back and like narrating recalling. Yeah, we do. Um, uh, so we're on the bridge. They almost coll- I love how they always collide with uh, one of the princes on the way. Which is like, sorry, <laughs> yeah. we've got to be going to the bridge. And the prince realizes, but yeah, nah, you're, you're good. When the captain calls, you don't wait. Yep. Um, and it turns Again, out... Again, that military culture. Yeah. Yeah, it- and how about, I love this bit about fighter pilots having a swagger, because we know that's yes. what Elfangor wants to do, <laughs> is to fly. It's just like, oh, the fighter pilots, they're so dreamy. It's just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> um... And oh it, fuck! I've just realised something. I'm so sorry. No, what's up? The list fucking phrase that Elfangor says about fighter pilots. It's uh-huh. almost like there's a special light that seems to shine on them. That's how Tobias describes Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that might have even happened in the last fucking book. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but that exact phrase. Hmm. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> anyway, now I've just like a uh, sniped kit uh, from the sounds of the dying I can hear. And Danielle's doing the nervous laugh. Uh, they do. Okay, just like, like, I'm in danger. <laughs> so we're on the bridge. There is a ship. Uh, it's not a Yerk ship. It's a Skritna ship. And it is in uh, Earth's solar system. Um, we We get it. Uh, kind of silhouetted by Saturn. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the captain uh, begins to ask the these Aurits what they should do, um, which really is all just uh, the reason that they wanted them on the bridge is because they're the ones that are <clears throat> small enough to actually board the Scritna ship. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> I fucking love that reveal. Just like, like also, you guys are small. Have fun. Like, the whole reason you're here is for that. We just wanted to fuck with you beforehand. <laughs> Which sounds like military culture to me. Yeah. I just um, love the just, oh, and those Scritnaut ships are so cramped inside, we better send along a couple of our people who can move around in there. Now, who do we have that's small enough to fit into a Scritnaut freighter? 
This <laughs> is just like, hmm. I wonder. That's yeah. great. I, but uh, yeah, I appreciate that, like, both Elfangor and uh, I've lost it. Arbron. Arbron. Yeah. Both sort of do, say the right things and then Arbron sort of uh, slips up a little bit and just mm-hmm. uh, gets a little bit too bloodthirsty. Mm-hmm. It's good. Yeah. Uh, so they get into a fighter, an old fighter, not one of the fancy new fighters, because of course they're not going to give one of the fancy new fighters to these, uh, cadets. Um, and Elfangor takes the helm, and Arbron takes, uh, weapons. Um. I love that he pulls rank on him because he's four four days days. his senior. Yeah. (laughs) Um. And like they're they're kind of sniping at each other at the bidding because they're fighting over who gets to do what. And then mm-hmm. they kind of just like look at each other and they start laughing because like what? They How is this, this happening? Yeah. <laughs> um they launch Elfangor uh hits the gas too hard. Because <laughs> yeah, the old model has a bit more pull away. Yeah, and, and right. the, I love how the fucking prince is just like forgot that that model does that, huh? And the fact yeah. is like, I'm dying. I have died. Yep. The shame. Yep. Yep. You may want to ease back just a little. Mm-hmm. And one thing that does bug me a little bit about this book, and that just like bugs me mostly in animorphous books, is like mm-hmm. the way they treat like gravity and acceleration in mm-hmm. the spaceships. Because, like, as far as I know, like, when you are in space, when you're in a vacuum, there is no gravity. And even if they are creating artificial gravity on their ships, you think the ship would know, like, hey, I need to shut this off so I don't go yeeting my crew across me, you know. It just, it bugs me that they still, a lot of the physics in the ships and the way they move in space is treated like they are in atmosphere with the acceleration and the reaction of the bodies inside the ships. That's just always been something that has bugged me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, I do not know enough about physics to contribute to that point. I suppose it's a point of reference. It's like um, it's like how explosions don't actually make noise in space. Yeah, mm-hmm. like fair. it's uh, Hollywood science or whatever. Like people yeah. expect yeah. to see it. So, but um, I kind of, I kind of like that. Yeah, I like the notion that they've done all this. They're super advanced tech, but they just can't get past this one issue because they overcompensated and made the gravity inside their ships too good. Oh, <laughs> and that's now they have... delightful. That makes it so much better. Yeah, just like, oh, yeah, we are so good. The artificial gravity is like being planet side. Unfortunately, it has this little side effect. <laughs> I be. like that a lot better now. Yeah. Luckily, we have four <laughs> legs, so it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. We can usually keep our balance. <laughs> A human teaching an Andalite how to casually flip the bird. <laughs> yep. uh, yeah, so they they close in on the Skritnaw ship. It turns out there's a second one, and it's kind of weird because the second one isn't mentioned at all in the rest of this whole little blurb here. It just kind of like, oh, there's a second Skritnaw, and then it disappears. Um, but this first Skritnaw is trying to run away, and uh, the other fighters are trying... Uh, are instructed to return fire, but only if you can hit the engine. We don't want to uh, destroy the ship or hurt anybody. We just want to stop them from running away. Um, and uh, so 
the Elfangor accelerates to get them closer, and then Arbron makes like a one in a million shot to uh hit the um hit the engine. engine. It's so cute. They're both yeah. so excited that they make it happen. Yeah, they're really excited. They get praised by the prince. I also like how Fag was a bit jealous that Arbron is the one that made the shot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like it was the most beautiful thing I'd seen up to that point in my life, but also I was jealous that I didn't do it. Yep. Um, and then uh, they go on to board the freighter. And we learn what the Skritna are. So the Skritna are a species that have two phases of their life. Um, I love this. It, it's I've got to say, this notion of like of these two distinct phases, like this, is just like why don't I? It's nice to see some creative takes on what an alien life cycle could look like. Yes, Star Trek. Yeah, Ka notes. does a good job of like actually <laughs> making weird as fuck aliens. Oh, her aliens are so good. I love them so much. Yeah. <laughs> so the first phase of the Skritna, the Skrit. Uh, are basically giant cockroaches with more legs and more antenna. Uh, and apparently they're not super intelligent. Um, they are mostly used for like manual labor. They don't seem really interested in any of the stuff that's going on around them. Um, and then after a while, uh, they go into a cocoon. And then when they come out, they are the Na. And the Na are. The Grey Men. Yes, those Grey Men. Yes, like from Earth Mythos. Um, because uh, they are, they have large heads with big eyes um, and they're humanoid. They have more legs than the typical Grey Man is said to have because they have four legs. But they um, sometimes rear up and walk on just two using the right. other legs as hands. Right. right. Which is one, which is one bit of the anatomy, like her, like, Applegate using like Earth mythology and legend mm -hmm. to like justify parts of this universe. And I love that because like the, the gray men have super long front arms. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that most of the time they would be quadrupedal, you mm -hmm. know, and they just stand on their hind legs when they need to use their hands. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. We just get this fucking detail about how they constantly go to peaceful planets and kidnap the local species. Sometimes yep. I perform medical experiments on them. Like, I didn't go back, but now I'm rereading this and I'm just fucking cackling to myself like, holy fucking shit. Round of <laughs> applause for KA. This is incredible. <laughs> yeah. So good. Yeah. And it's it's basically the Skritna in general, not just to Earth, but this is why the Earth has this mythos. They go to planets, they steal shit to go Bring sell people. to other people. Um they steal people to perform medical experiments just to like fly around with them for for like funsies and then put, put them, them back or oh, to put, oh, them, put them, in them in zoos. In zoo. <laughs> it's like I feel like the way she writes the script not it's like they're humans but slightly to the left. Just like if we took our habit of adopting creatures mm -hmm. and just mm -hmm. kind of ramped it up a little harder. Yeah. yeah. They're uh, if if humans are space orcs, then the Skritna are space gremlins, space goblins. Uh, kobolds? Kobolds? Yes, kobolds, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But 
Which makes it really interesting you drawing that parallel between scrutinar behavior and human behavior given a comparison that's drawn later in the book. Mm. So uh so they get onto the scrutinar ship and they find out that uh the ship is already uh kind of taken over. They didn't they don't really have to do anything because it turns out the two people that the scrutinar kidnapped from Earth have already mutinied and overthrown the ship. <laughs> oh yeah. She's just not having it today. And the first fucking line what is that we hear yeah. is just like fucking freeze horse boy. Yeah. And it's just beautiful. But we get this description of uh probably the first the first time I found seen a human. Mm-hmm. A face the same size as an andalites, um a bit shorter than a andalite, but uh standing on two legs, uh blue eyes on the front of the face. Having a mouth, brightly colored skin, which is like, I lost my shit at this outfit because, like, covered in loose, almost billowy white skin with tiny pastel patterns. Its two legs were covered in a rough textured blue skin that stopped suddenly at its hooves. Yep. The hooves were white and adorned with what looked like thick threads or cables laced together. And I'm like, yes, give me a paisley print shirt. Yes, give me jeans. Yes, give me this 70s look here for it and long blonde hair. Yep. But uh, it, what caught my eye was the hair that sprouted from its head. It was long and wavy and as gold as a yellow sun. Yep. Elfangor, we see you. <laughs> uh, Elfangor but, ha- has to get her to talk for a little bit to be, to start the translator chip in his head. I love that detail. I think that's yeah. so smart. Like It has to have enough of the language to analyze to start translating. It's just such mm-hmm. a nice little beat. Mm-hmm. I also love the, the little detail that there's some words that the chip can't translate. Mm-hmm. You know, like when she, oh, where is it? Um, yeah, but I grabbed the gun away from Twinkie there. She jerked her head in the direction of the knock captain. The translator chip had no translation for the word Twinkie. Evidently, Twinkie was some kind of word for alien. Yeah, the chip does translation, not localization. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Uh-uh. But I love how um, Elfangor and uh, our Brock are just like, right, we're in charge here. We're here to rescue it. And this human is just like, nah, I'm in charge. Nope, I've got the gun. I'm tired of being kidnapped by giant cockroaches and little green men from Mars. And just like, I don't like, like fucking Elfangor's like trying to talk to this human like it's a child. Yep. And Arbrock's just like, what little green men? They aren't green. Then the Nara Grey. And like, and they've just said this is a woman by this point who's waving a gun around. I love her. I love so her much. so much. But, and yeah, she's just like, and Arbron's just like, you should charm Elfangor. She's <laughs> 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 just hilarious to me. He knows he's a monster fucker. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, oh, uh, yeah, you're, you're, I've seen what you keep under your mattress. You talk to the <laughs> alien. Yep. <laughs> I'm being un- I'm being shitty to Elfangor right here. Yeah. I just think it's funny. Yeah. But um it's very good. But uh Elfangor manages to defuse the situation, explains the uh what she's holding as a dragon beam, and she's just like, Oh yeah, like a phaser on Star Trek. Um just like, yes, good. Um and they're like, Okay, we'll take you back to uh you'll take you back to your home planet and she's just like, Earth, is that the name of the third planet? Yes. And explains that yes, they're human, they get introduced. And we get her description of uh, what the Andalites look like. 
<laughs> but uh, she hands over the dragon beam to Afangor and uh, hands, yeah, she hands the, the gun over. She's like, thank you, I said. I reached to take the dragon beam from her and my fingers brushed hers. For some reason, I looked at her long golden hair. It's like, <laughs> buddy, <laughs> I know the Adelites don't have hair like this. But come on, your fingers <laughs> brushed and you were captivated by her hair. <laughs> like, this is some fanfic shit. And I'm here for it. The fact that it doesn't help that the cover of this book looks like a bad romance novel. <laughs> like, with the pose and everything. It's I hilarious. heard Elfangor was shredded. I heard he had a six pack. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. Uh, and she introduces herself, and what's great about this, and we have this really good meet-cute moment, mm-hmm. uh, she introduces herself, and she's like, blown away with this, this is amazing, most humans don't even believe in aliens, but here, well, here you are, real and all, unless I'm dreaming. And now Fanga's like stunned, she's like, do humans dream? I love that. I asked her, surprised I do, every night. So do I, but I guess we have very different dreams. Then Lauren smiled, it's a thing humans do by turning the corners of their mouths upward. Maybe, she said, maybe not. Just like, that's a dang good meet cute, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that scene so much. <laughs> it's it's great. It's just like you ever walk into a ship to find that uh, somebody's already defu- already uh, de-hostaged themselves and is preparing to be like, bitch, no, yep. you take me home. <laughs> I'm fine. Yep. Uh, but and they find this second human. Um, who is unconscious? Uh, Harbron and Alfanga are grossed out by the fact that humans have red blood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, this is something I see across like multiple science fiction series, and I find it so interesting that like human blood being red is so gross. And part of me is like, why? Why though? Like, if a species breathes oxygen, wouldn't their blood be reddish too? I, I suppose it uh, depends. Not if they on... don't use hemoglobin. Yeah, I was, was going to say, like, depending on what their composition is made of, like, it's iron as well, isn't it? So, like, if yeah. you're not, if your blood doesn't have the same elements to it yeah like i can but, i know like another series that i love as a kid uh there was a the, like the dragon rise of Pern. they specified that the dragons mm-hmm. bleed green mm-hmm. because they are silicone based not carbon based like we are mm-hmm. you know Falcons stuff like that bleed green don't they am i remembering that right i'm not a trekkie i know they don't bleed red yeah uh, yeah. And there's also, I'm um, stuck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do find it interesting that they're still just like, ugh, red blood, gross. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, um, and we get this first mention here, just like, it, um, the color creeps them out, and just sort of like, because then we get a mention about how, because the humans don't look ugly or anything, not like the script or taxons, which is seriously ugly species, just like, judgy much. Mm-hmm. Um, nor do they look dangerous like the Hawk-Bajir. But given how much we get focused on the colour red later, um, when in Morph, Ooh, I suppose it's a... Yeah. Mm-hmm. The fa- and the fact that it's Arboron who has that visceral reaction to the colour red yeah, as well. This is sad. I'm sad. Yeah. <sighs> but then yeah. Uh, this, they get back to the dome ship. Uh, we do have this great little commentary on Arbron and Elfangle being like, how do they balance on two legs? They don't even have tails. What the fuck? Yeah. It's very good. I still um, think my favorite exchange is like them trying to figure out like 
you know, oh, we've got lovely grasses if you'd like to eat. And they're just like, you don't have a mouth. How do you eat? And they're like, well, you don't have who you're what's wrong with your hooves? Why can't you eat? You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I have hooves, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, this other human uh, wakes up. Um, it's one of the things like uh, Lauren says, oh, so, hey, kid, are you okay? And this guy's a little bit of a dick, but I argue in a traumatic situation has the more other, more typical reaction one might assume one would have to finding oneself abducted by aliens, mm-hmm. which is being a bit more, what the fuck is happening to me? Yo, these guys have blades on their tails. This yep. is bad. Yep. So. Uh, yeah. Uh, the This other dude is Chapman. Yes, yes that, that Chapman. Chapman. <laughs> <laughs> For no good reason whatsoever. Yeah. Except that they didn't want to make a new NPC. Uh, mood. Big DM mood. How can <laughs> I loop this back to ones I've already made? Yep. Yep. Uh, and Chapman is taking none of the Andalite shit. Um, he's, he, he's a dick about it, but he's not wrong. Is the he does thing. call them out pretty, no. pretty hard. Uh, yeah. yeah, I do appreciate Lord, Just like, you were the one yeah. cowering and cringing. Mm-hmm. And just like yeah. I bet you're only you're even a year older than me at that. But yeah, this is one of those couple of things where up to this point, the way these are talking, these do not seem like young people. Yeah, yeah. definitely not. Like late teens, maybe. Yeah. To loop it back, as I'm so want to do, this is more of a dumb kid sort of a vibe. Yeah, just saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Listen to dumb kids playing hero. <laughs> DKPH put on Twitter. <laughs> Anyway, back to the book. Uh, Chapman. uh, So uh, Elfangor basically is like, or, you know, I gave you my name. Tell me your name. Like, we're supposed to be being civil here. And Lauren's like, also, these Andalites are pretty okay. Uh, They've promised to take us back. Um, And Chapman uh, tests the Andalites because he tries to grab for the gun. He says, oh, we're prisoners again. I'll show you, basically. Um, he tries to grab the dragon beam from Elfangor, and without even thinking, Elfangor puts his tail blade against Chapman's throat. And Cha- Honestly, this is exactly what Chapman expected. I think um, this is like one of the more fair moments of Chapman's because yes, it's just like absolutely. again, like he's been through this crap with this with the nod. Yes, and it's like of course he's not going to immediately trust the next you know alien who comes waltzing in like I am your hero, and of course yes. he's just like I ain't gonna buy that. Yeah. Especially mm-hmm. with the context of these are kids who are raised by, you know, like right after Vietnam. So, of course, mm-hmm. they're also going to mm-hmm. have that added dose of like, you know, xenophobia, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love how we've got this, like, again, like credit to Chapman for being perceptive mm-hmm. uh, after commenting on how fast uh, the tail was able to move, how it didn't even see it. Just like, what did you say your species is called? And lights. Well, I have a feeling you guys are a little more dangerous than you pretend to be, despite all your polite talk and promises. Yep. Yeah. And he's not wrong, though. He's not wrong. No. And Elfangus is like, I did not like this human. (laughs) I just realized something, though, that I really kind of like. Lauren is the more hopeful view on the Andalites, what the reader Mm -hmm. wants the Andalites to be. Mm -hmm. Good, heroic, you know, the friend, the one you can trust. Whereas Chapman is a little more of like the realism, like you guys are warriors, you guys are dangerous. Like, yeah, you might think you're the good guys, but you're still, you know, 
you aren't as holy as you think you are. Yep. He's kind of the reality check. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the Arbron gets the data off of the Skritna ship because apparently it's standard procedure to just like see a Skritna ship running away from you in open space, fire upon them for really no reason, and then just take all of the data from their ship. Mm-hmm. Military arrogance. I appreciate also that we get this little dig about how Arbron is the one who's going to do it because he's what the exodata specialist yeah. of the two of yes. them. Because it's like, and like warriors don't do computers. You're either mm-hmm. a technician or you're a warrior. Mm-hmm. And just like, and we see throughout the book that this actually is going to pay off more than once for Arbron yes. to be that that skilled person. Yeah. But uh, we have that. We also have this really good moment of like the moment Kit referred to earlier about how do you eat? Well, who's business? But um, mm-hmm. Lauren <laughs> being delighted by the dome ship and just like yes. taking off. <laughs> she takes off her shoes and socks so she can walk on the grass. And Elfanger and Arbron freak the fuck out because they yeah. think she's like tearing her feet off. It's... So good and dumb. Like, why are you messing <laughs> up your hooves? <laughs> and they were just like, and then when she explains what shoes are for, and Chapman's obviously a bit of a dick about it, she's like, oh, poor babies, they have to protect their delicate hooves. Just like, bitch, please. <laughs> yeah, and she like oh, immediately, immediately ruins that by just sprinting off across the grass. Yeah. And then, and she just like hauls herself up into a tree. And that's where the uh, analyze just like, oh, dang, upper they body strong. strength. <laughs> yeah. Who knew? Arms could be useful for some shit. I think that's something that always slays me whenever you see, like, the covers and they always depict Andalites with, like, jacked, you know, like, the, the arms are all muscular and, like, the stomach muscles are all really well defined. And it's just, like, in the books, they're like, yeah, our arms are actually really weak. You know, like, we've got these wimpy mm-hmm. little arms, you know. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, the, the Andalites are amazed at the fact that as she's running, she can look over her shoulder to yell at them <laughs> and they're both like what the fuck is she doing <laughs> like oh she doesn't have eyes that she, so she has to turn around to look behind her yeah humans are wacky <laughs> they're so weird i really like getting to see an extended view on human anatomy from yes. an alien that's yeah. real fun it's really so good so often, yeah. so often in sci-fi we're in the human perspective mm-hmm because that's an act like you need your point of view characters that's sort of accessible. But because obviously we've spent a lot of time establishing the rules of this universe from the human perspective, it's fun to get this alien take. Mm-hmm. So, yep, it's uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Alfangor is just like head over hooves already. He's like watching her as she runs and like watching her hair fan out behind her. The fucking, there is the legit the moment of her shirt yeah. riding up and he sees the strip of skin yeah. above her jeans. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, uh, I know, um, Izzy said as much, just like, I'm too quick for this, but just like, damn Elfangor, that's gay. I know he's <laughs> male and she's female, but also when it's monster fuckery, I feel that we could intuit some certain queerness there. Elfangor. <laughs> We see. You. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, then they explain about what clothes are. Yes. Uh, and how it's not their skin. And we have this real um, interesting moment about um, how humans uh, developed clothes to be in different environments. And Alfang was like, why would you go to the places? 
if your bodies weren't suited to them. Mm-hmm. And Chapman's like, we're not going to be kept out of a place just because the weather's bad. We adapt. We grab whatever's available and make the best of it. At least that's my motto. Grab what you can. But again, that just like showing of how humans think and why Andalites and Yerks don't get it mm-hmm. is just, it's good shit. Yep. Yep. And like it, part yeah. of me is like, part of me was like always confused by this as a kid. Like, you guys created spaceships that can go into space. You know how to create an artificial environment, and yet it never occurs to them to go to different parts of their own planet just because the, you know, the territory there is inhospitable. It's like, how did you? I was uh, watching um, a Dom Noble video on YouTube the other day. He was talking about Ringworld. Mm-hmm. Um, they're saying about how when you have certain technology, it can change how you interact with the world because of over time. He was talking mm-hmm. about how once you have like mass teleportation and can just move anywhere in an instant, you lose your sense of direction because mm-hmm. you don't need one. Right. And like you can't grasp distances because for you it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I suppose if you've gotten very good and like we know that they were nomadic, right? And so part of the thing is just like you move between where the food is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you do your places where there is the space. If there's no need yeah. to go to another place because you've run out of resources or whatever implies that Adelites maybe lack the drive to go hmm I wonder what's over there but or if your technology developed fast enough just like eh I don't fancy being cold or I don't fancy being hot let's go to space I do also think that it's mentioned somewhere that their planet is like much more temperate than ours like yes you know like the whole like earth is space Australia Mm-hmm. Um, kind of plays into Animorphs a little bit. Like, I'm pretty sure there's a couple other planets that are described as, like, worse than Earth as far as, like, extremes go. But, like, Earth is considered, like, an extreme anomaly in, like, the sheer diversity of life and the sheer diversity yeah. of ecosystems that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all so, these other like, planets are, like, one biome planets. Yeah, exactly. Um, I will, too, also remember, like, they are nomadic herbivores. Like, yeah. these are, this is a species that would migrate and follow the the food. Oh, they and they would never have a reason to develop leather. They don't hunt. They would never develop yeah. leather or any kind of covering based off of animal skins. So, yeah, and they have fur. So yeah. they're just going to leave the cold places because the food won't grow there anyway. Yeah. And so, like, why would you want to stick around in a cold place where it's hard to live? When yeah. there's all this, this, these other places where it's not, yeah. um, I think I think that's where it comes from more. Not necessarily like uh, being baffled at the ability to live in cold places, but being baffled at the choice to go to yeah. inhospitable places for when when there are other places that are more hospitable, accessible yeah. to you. Um. Uh, and then, um, Arbron, go, or, yes, Arbron goes to debriefing to talk to the captains and tell them what happened. Um, Elfangor goes to, uh, you know, uh, deal with the humans. But when Arbron comes back, he's like, uh, so they told me that we have to leave the ship. We're gonna, uh, <laughs> I love this, um, well, and Fenger is like, what do you mean leave the ship? And Arbron's like, they just told me, okay? They didn't ask my opinion. 
The captain yeah. called me from debriefing, had me run to the bridge and said, you and Arith's Elfangor will be at Docking Bay 7 in 10 minutes. And I said, yes, sir. <laughs> um, and uh, the humans are in a holding room while they discuss this. But basically what's happening is they and um, a old war prince are going to take the humans back to Earth uh, and then catch up with the Star Sword elsewhere. Uh, but the fact that they're with a war prince is complicated by the fact that it is war prince Aloran Semeter Koras. And Aloran is disgraced. Uh, both my hearts sank into my hooves. Aloran. Aloran the disgraced. So this mission was definitely not a reward from the captain. Aloran had once been a great warrior and prince, but he had been disgraced. I didn't know why. No one talked about it. Everyone just knew that Aloran had broken some law or custom. Being sent off on some stupid side mission with a disgraced war prince was not a good thing. It makes me wonder, like, why they made them do this. Because, like, if they did a good job on the mission. They got the aliens, and now they're just like, all right, mm -hmm. well, we're sending you on this shit miss mission now. Good job, boys. You know? Well, I mean, the thing is that they, they know they need to return the humans to their home. Because they can't just go fuck off with them. It, to battle Yerks. Um, yeah. And they, they're not going to make a big detour because it's, it's implied that the detour is like several days. Yeah. Um, they're not going to make a detour with the entire dome ship. And they don't want to spare any warriors because they're going to fight Yerks. Yeah. So send the two Aurithes, who already seem to have some kind of bond with the humans, and uh, send a Lauren because nobody cares about him anyway. Yes. So it's not it's not a punishment, but it it definitely isn't a reward. Um, but Aloran's ship is apparently sweet as fuck. Um, it has a really uh, it's like sleek and new, and he uh, custom built it and all this other sort of shit. Named it after his wife, um, and. Uh, it is like a bright thing. <laughs> Speaking of that, I, I I have to bring up the ballsiness of this is a children's book. We know who Aloran is by this point. If you've been reading the books in order, we know. We know who his wife is. Mm -hmm. That's a real, like, I appreciate the dramatic irony coming in of us, yeah. the readers, knowing the fate of this character mm -hmm. from the jump. The second we meet him, we already know who this is. Yep. And there's something I really want to appreciate that respect for a, for a young reader. Mm -hmm. Just like, yeah, dramatic irony, but like, here is, you, you know this for knowing. I remember reading somewhere that like, the difference between like American and like, like I am, a, I, I watch anime, I'm like, a, I pre, I'm a recovered weeaboo. Um, <laughs> but they mentioned that like in Japan, a lot of the times the names of episodes will completely spoil what is going to happen in that episode but for them it's like they don't care if you are spoiled if you know what's going to happen to this character etc the thing for them is the journey to how they got there how did this happen and that's like the big vibe i get from this book it's like we know what's going to happen to two of these characters for sure mm -hmm. the big thing here is learning how it happened 
Um, yeah, I mean, because we see the end result. We start off with Elfangor dying. Like, we start with yeah. all of that. And then he's like, well, <laughs> freeze frame. I bet you're wondering how I got here. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so they're, they're going to take these humans back to Earth. Um, the humans are informed that their memories are going to be erased, <laughs> and the, which is a terrible call to tell mm-hmm. them ahead of time. Like, why would you tell them now if you're going to do it? Because now they're just going to look for a way to not have that happen. Nobody wants their memory erased. I assume yeah. it's part of them underestimating human intelligence. Just like, oh, yeah. yeah. Because oh, they assume they know best and they think of humans as children. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, they're a class, what we have this, oh, class six civilization. They've landed on their moon. Eh. Mm-hmm. So Primitive really just- chemical engines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Or yeah. no, it's um, signs of nuclear power, I think they mentioned too. Like, oh, they've got some nuclear power. They've got some broadcasting things and stuff like that. And, you know, that's about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they board the ship. It's really nice. Uh, and um, Elfangor or Arbron actually explains zero space travel and how it's different from faster than light speed travel because faster than light speed is physically impossible Um, and we get once more the uh, someone asking like Chapman asks uh, well I suppose you Andalites keep those secrets to yourselves huh and Aloran uh hinting at his dark past uh says not always once we shared it the result was the yurk empire that threatens all decent species be glad you are safe on your simple alien on your simple planet alien the galaxy is not a happy place to be anymore um and uh Aloran tells uh the cadets to make their aliens their prisoners basically comfortable um arbron asks if he can use the ship's computers to do something about this all this data that he got from the scritnaw ship because it seems a little weird and i want to check it out um and aloran is like sneering he's like oh you're one of those exodatologists huh um the new ideal Warrior, scientist, artist. It's not enough to be a fighter anymore. They want a gentler, more balanced, more intellectual sort of warrior nowadays. <laughs> Meanwhile, Arbron is just like, I I guess, sir. That's what they teach us. <laughs> um, but then we get Aloran uh really hinting at how not how he's not dealing with things well at all. Um, for a while, Aloran said nothing. He just stared blankly, not at anyone, or at least not at anyone in that room. The electorate wants war without slaughter. They want a clean, neat, honorable war. Fools. Uh, but after that, Arbron's like, okay, but what about the computer? Can I use it? And and Aloran's like, yeah, yeah, we're in for a boring ride. Go ahead. I love that PTSD. Yeah.